Welcome to the Teacher's Impact Podcast, or better yet known as The Tip, where teachers can come to master their craft, use their voice, and enhance student learning. This is episode 57 of the Teacher's Impact Podcast, or better yet known as The Tip. On this episode, we'll be talking about how I use my data to help my students grow. Hopefully you can get some tips and some takeaways to help to also help your students to grow. So stay tuned. Before we get started, I just want to say that I am getting over a cold. So if my voice sounds a little bit weird or scratchy, um, it's because I have a cold. But I'm going to do my best to make sure you get the the best of my voice today. So anywho, we're going to be talking about how to use your data to help your students to grow. I'm going to give you some examples of what exactly I did. And like, again, I said, hopefully you can take away some tips from what I did and also help your students to grow. So before even looking at data, right, we need an assessment. So an assessment is going to give us the data to help us to use so that we can help our students to grow. So the first thing I do is I make sure I use two forms of assessment. So I use informal assessments and I use formal assessments. So the informal assessments I used, for example, when my students came in September, one of the things that I did, I teach first grade, so this is going to be for first grade elementary classroom. One of the first things I did was I have my students write their letters, their names, and numbers to see if they were actually able to write their letters, if they knew how to write their numbers, if they knew how to recognize their numbers, if they knew how to recognize their letters. So this was my informal assessment so I can get a gauge of the class to see where they are in terms of their letters, their numbers, writing their names. I wanted them to do it in pencil and paper because I don't know, it's something about pencil and paper that you know which I'll know something when they can write it down on a piece of paper. And <clears throat> I think that we take this for granted in the age of computers, but it's very important. I find it very helpful when assessing my students. Again, is it for everybody? No, but it's one of the ways that I've found to be helpful when informally assessing my students. That's one form of informal assessments I do. And this is over multiple days. I'm looking at them. I'm watching the students. I'm observing them to see exactly where they are. The next part is a formal assessment. So this is a formal assessment is a district assessment that your your district may use, such as iReady or MAP, NWEA, or even <clears throat> a computer-based assessment. Okay, so our district uses the iReady assessment. Some of you may be familiar with this. After they completed these two types of assessments, what I do is I look at the two, I compare the two assessments and I see, okay, does the formal and informal assessment data match up? Does what I'm seeing with what my students do in the classroom based on my informal assessment and the formal assessment that, that they took? If it matches up, great. If it doesn't, that's something I'm going to have to keep in mind later on when I'm grouping my students. All right. So then the second question I ask myself, what does this data show? 
just as an example, I can say that the data shows me that approximately 50 to 50% of my students are below grade level at the beginning of the year. So looking at this data, okay, 50% of my students are below grade level or two, one or two grade levels below. But what, what exactly is the class-wide need? What exactly do the majority of my students need to work on? Usually, the type of formal assessment that you take, you'll see, okay, a, a majority of the students fall in, they need work in uh, phonemic awareness, phonics, foundational skills. So if you have 50% of your class or more, you're going you're gonna to know that, okay, that is a class-wide need. 50% of my students need phonemic awareness, phonics. 50 to 75% of my kids fell in that area. So that is a class-wide need because a lot of students, the majority of your students, need work in that area. That's a class-wide need. So after doing that, then I say to myself, okay, my instruction has to match what the data is showing me. So I know that 50 to 75% of my students need work on phonemic awareness, phonics instruction. I'm going to be working in those areas during my instructions, during my instruction. So I can say, okay, for my do now, where the whole class is going to be working on phonemic awareness or phonic instructions, that's going to be a part of my do nows. Then for my whole group instruction, also following the curriculum, this is an area of focus that I know I need to zone in on. It's something that I know that I cannot skip. I have to do it because it is a class-wide need. It's a priority because most of the students in my class need instruction in this area. So the whole class is going to benefit from any type of direct instruction that I'm giving them in phonics or phonemic awareness instruction because that's what the data showed. The third thing I do is I say, okay, well, this was during the pandemic, so I could not do small group instruction. I had to adjust based on, you know, district guidelines. So because a lot of my students were below grade level, behind at least a grade level or two, I said, okay. I'll do half class. And thank you to uh, my inclusion teacher. She comes in and works with one of my students, and she gave me the idea to work with half class. So thank her for that. I don't want to give her name on the podcast, but so I use the half class model. So that'll be two groups because we could have small groups during the pandemic. So one group of, one group would be with me, the other group, would be working independently on some type of activity, independent activity, or some kind of <clears throat> writing. The group that's going to be with me first, after I did my whole group lesson, we're going to continue that. I'm going to give them practice. I'm going to give them guided practice in the phonics phonemic awareness instruction. Guided practice so I can catch their mistakes, so I can make sure that they're saying the letters correctly, pronouncing the letters correctly, sounding out, blending the words correctly, the guided instruction part of it. When they're with me, and me also giving them academic corrective feedback. Once they're finished with me, I send them back to their desk where they have an independent activity that I know that they can complete on their own. 
So this could look like a center game or a phonics activity that I know they're going to be successful at. Then the higher group comes with me and I do work with them on phonics or phonemic awareness instruction, but I tie in the comprehension because I know in order for them to grow also, they need work in that area. They need work in comprehension because some of them in, in the second half, this other group, they've mastered some of the phonics skills, some of the phonemic awareness skills, so I can push them a little bit by working on the comprehension along with any advanced phonics, phonemic awareness that I'm working with them on. So, and I just wanted to add, so the students that are not on grade level, when they're with me, one of the things that I know works that I've used is Elkanen boxes. So it's a rectangle and it has three squares. And for each square, the student will have to put a letter or a to tell each sound for the word. So for example, if it's the word bed, they would put a B for B, a E for E, and a D for D in each of the three squares so that they're able to list list out the sounds that they hear in the word. So I'm using alkaline boxes. I'm working with them on identifying beginning sounds, middle sounds, ending sounds. <clears throat> Those are for my not on grade level group. The other thing I wanted to add is that the other thing I wanted to add is that my students are still working on a grade level content. So if I'm working in, in my curriculum and the curriculum is saying, okay, this week we're going to be focusing on double E, that's what I'm going to be focusing on, but I'm different I'm differentiating that to make it work for my not on grade level students. And I'm also trying to uh, teach some skills that I know that that not on grade level group is lacking. So if I'm, I'm introducing double E, we're working with double E, but I'm also thinking, okay, I still know they need to work on, some of these kids need to work on letter recognition. I still know that they need to work on rhyming. So I'm going to try to work that in, into that group that I'm working with. Also, not forgetting that, I still have to, again, make sure that they're accessing the grade level text, accessing those complex texts. So when I'm doing my whole group reading, when I'm sharing and reading the anchor text, I'm keeping all these things in mind. I'm thinking about my on-grade level kids. I'm thinking about my below-grade level kids. What are the type of questions I can ask them? That is going to help them to get to the next level. So, for example, if I'm reading an anchor text and I know my advanced students, he ne I know one of my advanced students needs to work on vocabulary, I'm thinking about him. Okay, what question What I'm going to be asking him? Ooh, Johnny, as an example, what do you think is the meaning of this word? Obviously, after I modeled and showed them how to use the context clues to determine the meaning of a word, then for my not on grade level kids, we're going to be looking, okay, if I'm reading the story and I see the word bat, okay, my friend Pete over here, let's sound out the word bat while also taking into consideration those listening skills and comprehension skills so that students have access to the complex text and the grade level anchor text. 
So it's a lot to keep in mind. These are just some ideas that have worked for me. And I know they've worked because when I looked at my mid-year assessments, a lot of my students grew. And so, yes, I have to make some adjustments, but I knew it worked because a lot of my students grew. We still have the end of the year to for them to meet their growth target, but a lot of them are halfway there, which is a good thing. So I'm really happy about that. And so now it's just looking at it and adjusting. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to go back and I'm going to look at the data and I'm going to look at my groupings and I'm going to have to adjust them and see, okay, what is the class do I need? What do I have to teach the whole class? What do I have to teach to the different groupings? Okay. And how can I differentiate my instruction? The one thing that I found particularly difficult is for the really, really low students when they're doing their independent work, it's it gets challenging for them. And because I'm the only person in the room, it's hard because, you know, because they're so low, it's hard for them because they don't have that support. So hopefully with, you know, everything is changing right now, a lot of these restriction, restrictions are going to be lifted. So hopefully we can be able to get back to some centers. I can have more centers in my classroom that will be helpful yeah those are some those are just some ideas i have some tips i have for you key takeaways from this episode is number one do an informal assessment number two do a formal assessment number three compare the two number four you're going to look at your hard data to do your student grouping most uh, assessments Nowadays, they'll do the they'll do the student groupings for you, <clears throat> but you can use your informal assessment to adjust the groupings. So you you having you have two forms of data to help you with your grouping, so they can be more accurate. Once you do your group number five, you're going to decide which area is there need for class wide instruction. So after when you look at your data, you're going to say okay. Where do, where do a majority of the students need work in? They need work in phonics, phonemic awareness, instruction. What, the, what does the data show you? It could be vocabulary, depending on your grade level. Then you're going to tackle that area in your whole group instruction. So you're teaching, phonic, you're teaching phonics, phonemic awareness, because that's what your data shows you. Okay. After you decide what your need is class-wide, you're going to say, okay, I have my groupings, so that's how I'm going to differentiate, right? So my on-grade level students, they're going to be working on, yes, the phonics, phonemic awareness instruction, but they're also going to be working on other things that I saw in the data that they may be lacking. And then for my, for my below-grade level students... We're going to be working on, obviously, again, the phonics for anemic awareness and instruction because that's what my data showed. But I'm also going to look at the data some more to find out, okay, what are the other skills that they need to work on within that REM to make sure that my students are accessing grade-level content. I'm still teaching with the curriculum, so I'm still working on the skills or the concept that the curriculum is teaching that the curriculum needs me to teach. However, 
I have to differentiate it for my students so that they are able to grow. So those are some tips. That was a lot. <laughs> Hopefully this is helpful. And last but not least, celebrate your progress. If you saw your students grow, give yourself a pat on the back. And yes, be proud of yourself. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to check out the website, teachersimpact.net. If you found this content helpful, please share, favorite, and rate on your favorite podcast app. It helps the show to grow, reach more teachers, and have an impact. So I would love it if you showed some support. Again, thank you and happy learning and growing.